ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. In the current economic climate, when so many of us are making decisions about what we can and can't afford, one of the first casualties may be not buying from that smaller store where it may cost a little bit more, but you know the quality is better or you know the family or the individual who runs it. Jeremy Story Carter, in the peak of the pandemic, we started to recognise and to try our hardest to support small business. But I'm wondering if that's now a luxury that, sadly, we can no longer afford. Yeah, Rish, it is a profound problem facing small business in the state and probably in many parts of the world. Uh, for the longest time, we've stressed the need to put a value, like all caps value, on mm. small business. And as you say, during those grinding lockdowns, there was a real joy in having a direct relationship with small business. Potentially, they were a member of your community. The reality now in such challenging economic times is that people can still appreciate the value of those businesses without necessarily being able to afford to support them. So how do small businesses navigate around that mm. and not only hold on and you know just buy their fingernails and stay open, but actually have the confidence to start new small businesses? And when we talk about starting a small business, what is a small business? What does a small business actually look like today? Is it a startup? Is it online? Is it a, a shop, bricks and mortar? And so often when we talk about small business, they're family. They are family run and they have been like that for generations. And as you just said, who would have the confidence to do that, to start a small business now? And as consumers, when it might be easier to just go to a big chain store or buy online, how do we support small businesses within your budget? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter are with you. Jeremy, a part of the National Regional Reporting Team, talking about small business and who would have the confidence to start a small business I, however, Jeremy, grew up knowing I never wanted to start a small business. That like I've heard from you talk about this, and it's not you almost don't describe it as a business. It's just a whole of life kind of consuming yeah. part of your world. Was that part of it that is just so enveloping of every aspect of your life that you kind of have no no other parts of your life you can get away to? No. So for those that don't know, I grew up in a milk bar. My mum and my auntie started a milk bar. It's your entire life. You're, my mum could never take holidays, couldn't be there at key events when you wanted to, wasn't home at, at dinner time. So I learned to cook very early on or stick a you know frozen Kiev in the, in the oven. But you spend most of your time at the milk bar. But then what I, it's not those elements that I think have stayed with me. It was the financial burden that Mm. came with it very quickly a small business can turn and you can lose a lot of money very quickly and then that is long-lasting that then carries on sometimes for generations. So even though it may give you some freedoms, small business, it also comes with a heavy weight and it is all-encompassing. So for me, small business... A little scary. You don't look like you're about to run out and start one. And I guess what you gestured to there as well is the idea of how much you put into a small business, literally financially, but also the commitment that you make in your life to that business. So when you hit difficult economic times, like so many small businesses would be experiencing right now, you have really difficult questions of what do we do from this moment? I've got a legacy here of effort and money that I've put into this. So where do I go from here? And where's the support as well? Like Where does that support come from? Is it a mentor? Is it a business group? Is it something locally? And how do you access it? At the time, all they knew to go to was to the bank and whether or not the bank was going to be able to help you. So what is the current state? What's the current pulse of small business in Victoria at the moment? If you own and run a small business, you've gone through a pretty rough couple of years. And now we're coming into really challenging economic times. So as a small business owner, how are things for you right now? Fleur Brown is the Chief Industry uh, Affairs Officer with the Australian Retail Association. And Fleur, the Australian uh, Retail Association just today 
launched the Small Business Retail Index. So that is taking the pulse of close to 400 small to medium retail businesses across the country. So did you detect a pulse? How is small business at the moment? That's a great question. Uh, thanks, Rochelle. Um, yes, we did this uh, in collaboration with American Express, who stay pretty close to small retail as well. There's definitely a pulse. Um, I think it's sort of a third, a third, a third division between, uh, you know, performing quite well. And we did see a lot of resilience through the pandemic, I have to say, with small uh, retail and small business. Um sitting on the fence, perhaps waiting to hear more about what's going to happen with interest rate rises, where the labour shortages are going, that sort of thing, and feeling, uh, you know, a distinct lack of confidence. So um, it's a uh, sort of a a multi-pronged response that we got there. And uh, there's those in the the optimistic camp, those in the uncertain territory, those that are feeling really quite concerned. Can we go to the, because um, there's a lot of things that make up uh, small businesses, can we go to maybe the archetype that a lot of us have in our mind when we mm. think about small businesses, a real bricks and mortar, maybe a smaller store, but a, a place that really thrives on physical interaction and kind of speciality. How are those sorts of businesses doing given some of the costs and the concerns that you've, you've just outlined there? Yeah, look, um, we uh, we kept our survey open to those who sort of had turnovers under 50 million, which sounds like a lot. Does but sound actually like a in re- lot. In retail, it's not necessarily because it depends what business you're in. But most of the respondents were under the 5 million mark, which is probably closer to what you'd expect. And again, in retail, your turnover can be very high, but your actual the amount you're banking and taking home can be much, much lower than that. So what we found is that um, 41% of small retail said they were performing below their financial forecasts for the financial year just passed. Now, let's uh, remember that they probably revised those financial forecasts through that year as well as they watched the interest rate rises creep in, etc. So, that's not a great result. Um, We did see, however, that 34%, that sort of one-third figure that I was talking about of SMBs feel confident about their performance for this financial year that we're in, uh, an equal number feel pretty concerned uh, and then there's sort of a neutral number in between. So um, I think small business owners are naturally quite optimistic. I was one (laughs) myself also and I think you've got to be to go into it. So um, factor that into that, you know, as well. Can I just, uh, that idea, confidence, right? What what does that mean for business to be confident? Yeah, look, it's... um, I think there's been a wearing down um, of business owners and managers mm. through the pandemic, and that continues. And mental health concerns and well-being are really a big topic with us, um, with our amongst our retailers. So we know a lot of small business retailers are working in the trenches. They've got to compensate for absent staff, etc. So um, feeling confident can mean that you're not feeling worn out and just not up for the challenge, you know, that can be part of it. Yeah. Um, feeling like your cash flow is going to run out, you know, in a in a pretty nerve-wracking way. So let's think about leasing costs. They were deferred for a lot of people and they're now falling due at the same time that le- rental pricing is going up. And talking about that mental health load that we take and, I mean, if you start a small business, you're generally doing it because you're passionate about it, because you love it, because it's something that you want to do. It's not like if things aren't going so well, you might have the confidence to leave a job. But to leave a small business, it's not as easy as that. And so often, and Fleur, no doubt you've heard this with small business owners, they say, I've just got to get through this next hurdle or I've just got to get through this next issue that we have or around the corner I know things might get a little bit easier. So if small businesses have managed to get through the pandemic and the lockdowns and then to be hit with the economic climate that we currently have, Fleur, stay with us because we want to have a chat to Joe, who's in Ballarat. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Good morning. Are you are um, you from uh, a small business family? Uh, yes, and probably got a bit of um, a background experience in the whole exercise. And they're not really, unfortunately, const- not constructive. They're realistic. Um, just a quick reminder: a very large number, most of the small businesses that people ran, the milk bars that you mentioned, the fruit shops, um, a lot of the small stores. They were people buying a job. They were migrants who um, basically would buy a house, not a house, a a shop with a house behind. They could live there. 
the family worked. Honestly, most of those businesses, uh, if you were to work out how much was being made by the entire operation, it was based on sweat labour of mum, dad and the kids. The kids, so yep. That was always that was always the situation. Now, what has changed has been that a whole range of those have disappeared, but worse than that, in my view, has been the introduction of franchise. So what we've seen in the last 20 or 30 years is a concept of someone starting up an idea for a small business. Oh, yes, I work out all the plan. And then it works for them. But then someone comes along and says, listen, why don't we sell this franchise idea? Mm. And... A lot of people who want to run their own business because they see it as their own job, but they they think that the franchise gives them support and value, pay for it. And yeah. the reality is that if anyone knows anything about that, they will understand that many of these business operations through a franchise actually really are good for the franchiser, but the franchisee, unfortunately, Don't, Yeah, and it's really changed the concept of small business. Joe, you touched on so many things. Fleur, Jeremy and I were talking off air about family businesses and small businesses are so intertwined in this. And, you know, mm. I immediately think of a, a gorgeous little uh, local Vietnamese restaurant where I live and it's family run. The mum and dad are in the kitchen and the young daughter works the floor. And over yep. the last four years, I've seen her go do her homework from year nine through to year 12 whilst she's serving the customers and being a part of that business. And there is no way that business would survive without this gorgeous young woman who we absolutely love without her working on the floor yes. it wouldn't survive yes absolutely well look that's become more intense of course because of labor shortages over the last few years and whilst that's improving slowly um it's still you know a real issue and what we're saying in response to a lot of these concerns is that small business owners are yes they're working in the stores themselves even if they weren't previously they're also reducing their store hours um to try and offset some of the cost increases and also the reduction in spend that's happening out there how much is that a self-fulfilling prophecy because one of the um kind of accepted ideas about small businesses they often support one another in that if there are multiple uh, open in a strip and they're all you know you're able to walk in and out of them you're able to support multiple ones but uh with a re reduced hours so it mm. does that have a kind Almost of a deck of cards yeah exactly yeah. kind of net of cards, effect. Sorry, yeah. it, it is an ecosystem and not just for small uh, retail but also you know cafes and retail feed off each other of course but also big retail and small retail play really beautifully together in shopping strips and malls and that sort of thing so it does have an impact it would be a step a measure of last resort um, absolutely it's very reluctantly taken of course it potentially reduces profit but I think it's just when the backs are against the wall on cost and cash flow I remember chatting to someone in a small business in a regional town and they one of the steps they unfortunately kind of had to look to was not employing people because mm -hmm. that was a fixed cost that, you know, they weren't going to, um, you know, they wanted to make sure that if they did, were employing someone that they were paying them a very decent wage and all entitlements, of course. Um, but they got, sort of got to a point where they thought for this business to actually stay open, I can't, I kind of need to weather the costs within my family and as an individual, but I can't put on anyone else. Is that a theme that we're starting to see? I know unemployment uh, yeah. you know, is low, but is that a bit of a theme we're starting to see? Yeah, look, reducing um, staff hours and reducing staff is a bit of a theme. Um, it, it is a sort of a, a blessing and a curse to do that. It has an immediate easing on cash flow, but of course retailers are conscious of staff loyalty and then needing to potentially quickly staff up again. And if they've downsized and let go of staff they've gone to competitors and they can't get them back very easily so as we approach christmas that's a time when discretionary retailers many of them make up to two-thirds of their profits they really do start staffing mm. up so you, it's a really considered decision if you do take that just finally fleur we've spoken about so many things here that i think anyone in their right mind would crazy to start a small business but that's not what we want we want people this is where the creativity is this is what creates community and opportunity how can we support people if people are listening right now and they run a small business and they've got concerns or they're worried about the future or they're feeling a little bit lost what support is there both from a, a mental health perspective but a financial perspective as well mm -hmm. look um governments state governments uh, and territory governments have been great in 
coming to the party with uh, grants. I mean, small business is a you know definitely high in the in the in the priority list for um, for government, both federal and state. So there is quite a lot of that sort of support around. I think the trouble for a lot of business owners is they don't have time to sort of look for that information or search through and then make the grant application. Don't so, have um, time, I imagine, is a common yeah. thread between a lot of your constituents. <laughs> Absolutely. So, look, I mean, uh, the Australian Retailers Association um, does have a lot of that information. If you subscribe to our newsletter, it's free. You'll get uh, you'll get some of those um, grants and support program information in that. So I'd suggest that as a first step to help out. Great. Flo, thanks so much. Thank you. Fleur Brown is the Chief Industry Affairs Officer with the Australian Retail Association. Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter with you. We're talking about small business. Are you able to support them? Do we feel confident enough to try and open them? And what even defines a small business now? So many texts on this, Jeremy. With this, I'm from Footscray, which has long been a multicultural small business hub. And I've noticed that the shop fronts from 2020 onwards have been shutting and shuttering away most months. The loss of these cultural and community hubs is killing the suburb and only the gentrified pubs and the organic grocers are replacing them it's the suburb and it has lost its soul i spent quite a bit of time around footscray and you can uh, see that quite visibly and i think that's a story repeated in a lot of communities and they you want stores that don't have to be you know, absolutely everything. You want specialty. You yeah. want things that mean something to, to local communities. And particularly in a place, it's, as it's described here, a multicultural hub like Footscray, it can often be a place for, you know, to pe- for people to congregate. It is kind of even the defining characteristics of, of, that, of yes. community. And so I think when we talk about this, that's what I always have in the back of my mind, is what we stand to lose if this sum just doesn't quite add up. Because the sums don't work yeah. for a lot of um, businesses where once they did. But we know as a community, I think we value these things. That's just at the moment it feels for a lot of us like it's not possible to necessarily support that value. This, I grew up with small business parents. I watched them work 18 hours a day, seven days a week with no annual or sick leave. I vowed I would never do that. But lo and behold, after I had my first child, I didn't want to go back to the demands and then inane nature of my corporate job. I started a small business. <laughs> and although it's stressful, it provides the flexibility to work around the kids and the schedules. And now, I would find it hard to go back to work. We didn't notice an impact on the business until the ninth, 10th interest rate rise. We just budget more and we know it's not forever. We love our small business community and we have so many more genuinely rewarding connections with customers and with the local community. Mm, Isn't that amazing? That's what you want to hear. <laughs> that's the story that you want to hear. But many others saying that they wouldn't do it and they think that council plays a role in allowing and trying to help small businesses thrive in the suburbs that we grow up in. So what do you think? Would you start a small business and are you still trying to find a way to support small business? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter, who's a part of the National Regional Reporting Team with you, talking about small businesses in Victoria. This is from someone who just signed it feeling trapped in Terrelgan. It says, as a small business in the Latrobe Valley, once Hazelwood shut down, I lost 50% of my income and I got zero help. Just started to get back on my feet, then COVID hit. Wasn't able to get government assistance due to the fact that I had such poor years after Hazelwood closing and they deemed my income hadn't been affected due to the pandemic. It's beep and I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. But I have a family to support and to feed, so I just keep pushing beep up a hill and hope that one day I'll escape it. And that's where I grew up. And I That's know exactly world, yeah. what it is like. And once you are in the middle of a small business and that's all you know and that's what you've been doing, it's easier said than done to say, well, I will just shut this down. This is not working. Because what are your alternatives? What do you do? You just keep trying to make it work. Shutting and down doesn't necessarily put you in a good economic position at all. In fact, it, it draws into focus all the effort and all the financial commitment that you've made um, over the years. I, I was in a, um, yeah, a re- quite a small regional community recently and got a ham, cheese, tomato, toasty and a coffee and it costs around 25 bucks. Wow. Uh, very expensive, but you could tell it was just a, um older couple who were running the place. It wasn't like they were, you know, searching for some sort of bougie market or charging a mass 
massive premium. Uh, and that was just the price of the input cost. That basically, that's what it cost them to make those things with a very, very small profit margin. That's not a th- 25 bucks for, you know, a Sanger and a coffee is not something that a lot of people can afford, not even as a one off. And so that is a, a sum that just didn't seem to work for that place mm. uh, and I it's in situations like that where you really do think well how how like how can you make this work Anne's in Ararat good morning Anne oh good morning how are you Rochelle really well are you a small business owner Yes, um, my husband and I have been in small business for, well, in this particular business for 32 years, but we've had business oh, for probably another previous um, 10 or 15 years prior to that. But the business we're in at the moment, um, basically uh, our children were very young when we first uh, came into it. And, you know, a small business in a small country town is, um, you know, you don't come into it to expecting to make a huge amount of money. Um, business wearing is more or less like a lifestyle yeah. business. Um, there was enough um, money to, you know, bring the kids up and have a comfortable lifestyle. Um, we've had a, we, we've actually had a few holidays, <laughs> but, um, but you are tied to the business and we took the decision not to put on any staff. And so, you know, we have had quite, um, co- quite a lot of commitments to the business. But now that we're, we're actually looking at retirement, uh, during the period of time uh, since interest rates have been going up, mm. uh, each month we've watched the interest rates going up and the people interested in purchasing the business have looked at that and said, no, we can't afford another loan. So struggling to sell it. Yes. So, but what, you know, we've always been very optimistic and we do love the business we're in. No wonder we've mm. been here for 32 yeah. years. Well, what do you do, so, Anne? Oh, we, we own a saddlery and a feed store and country clothing outlet in, in Ararat. And there might be some of our customers listening as I speak. <laughs> I know who you are. But see, isn't yeah. that lovely? It's a part of that community. There probably are customers of yours that are listening. And Anne is so right, Jeremy, in that you don't do it to make heaps of money. You do it because you think, this is going to hopefully give me the lifestyle that I want. It will give me the freedom or the flexibility or it might mean that you can live where you you want to live or you can I don't know just create a, a lifestyle that you want and we were just talking before about the idea that these things represent something to community um, and the inverse can be true that there is such a special thing of being a hub for a community of being something that people value and that you actually feel like you're contributing to that mm. to the place in which you live I think that's really special I I just wish that it didn't come necessarily at the cost of um you know all your time and all your hours and potentially some of your savings having to to go with it as well one three hundred triple two seven seven four. you can text zero four three seven 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 four seven seven four. this Jeremy and Rochelle I never wanted to start a small business either having... I love this as a start to a lot of the text so and there's always a but a comma but <laughs> but and the reason why most people don't want to start it is because they've watched their parents and they've watched their parents work really hard, which is what Leah says in this text. She says, I grew up having grown up in a restaurant and that consumed my parents' lives for over 40 years. But after retraining as a horticulturalist last year, I have realised I can do things differently, learning from my parents' experiences. And I've set up my own business in a way that suits me. I don't have a bricks and mortar store. I have very few overheads. I'm a sole trader and I can turn it into part-time work which I can use to secure cash flow. I'm very strict about my operating hours and have boundaries around what I can and can't do. It's the absolute best work-life balance and my mental health has never been better. Leah, that's so wonderful. And isn't it interesting that you learnt though from your parents and the fact that they work for 40 odd years Mm. and no doubt probably work 16, 17 hours a day, but you just did it differently. Yeah, and I um, that really makes me think of... Uh, I was out chatting with a sort of new generation of vegetable growers recently, people who essentially left their more corporate-aligned jobs and have started up small-scale uh, farming, and they knew they're not getting into it for a lot of money. But I think much like we've seen in this these last few years, this idea of people 
shifting careers, kind of evaluating their lives and thinking, well, this um, doesn't really work for me. What do I really want to do? And funnily enough, small businesses figured in the mix for a lot of people to say, well, yes, I might not make a heap, but I want to take some of that autonomy back in my life. I want to do something that has meaning attached to it. So we've painted a little bit of a dour picture in some parts of small business, but for a lot of people it represents this new opportunity yeah. and, and a new life that didn't seem possible maybe prior to the pandemic. And so many of them are connected to family either. You've watched them and you've followed in the family footsteps or you haven't. But Paul Parkinson is the owner of McLeod Shoes in Melbourne, which I think is three or four generations young. Paul, welcome to the Conversation Hour. McLeod Shoes, and I, I watched your video online, you hand make shoes and it was incredible to watch how these shoes are made. As the owner of a family run, a generational family run business, how is business for you at the moment? Thanks, Rochelle and uh, Jeremy. Things are certainly a little bit tight at the moment. Um, you sort of got to watch your spending. <clears throat> but, um, you know, you've got to remain optimistic as well. So you've got to... Mm-hmm. Keep your chin up. You know, trading for um, you know seventy plus years has been uh, has been good. You certainly uh, sort of take it with the highs and lows. <laughs> and in in this moment, there are some some low moments for for businesses and also for for everyone in um, you know who's struggling with uh, that dreaded cost of living. Your work takes craft, it takes care, it takes time, and I presume, therefore, there's a cost that sort of reflects that. Who are you seeing who who is supporting that type of craft and putting a value and is able to put a value in that type of work? Well, the fact that what we do is all handmade means that um, they sort of really appreciate the quality and the craftsmanship that goes into it. Um, we're only producing probably about 25 pair of shoes a week, um, we do also do a lot of importing. The uh, retail business, which is in Queen Street, has been around for a long um, Sounds like... Uh, I think we've lost maybe someone Paul there. Maybe yeah. a shoe at the phone or something. Yeah, <laughs> we might try and get Paul Parkinson back. He's the owner of McLeod Shoes in Melbourne. A family-run business and been run so for generations. I think about this exact example quite a lot when we talk about small businesses because I think that a lot of us can accept the idea and actually really treasure the idea that a uh, handmade shoe is not only something that's special and comes from, um, you know, craftspersonship, but that it also is more likely to be durable and it's more likely to last. But the problem is that not everyone's able to afford those upfront. I mean, there are businesses, huge corporations who are trying to make it impossible for you to support those businesses because they want to make their products so cheap that they're sort of irresistible. Um, so that this is one of those perfect dynamics. And, Paul, the shoes that you make, are, are it was just wonderful to actually watch. It was like a trance to watch them being made, and they are life... Uh, you know, you would have them for almost an entire lifetime to be able to wear shoes like yours. Just finally, do, is there any pressure on you as someone as a third generation to keep that business running so that the next generation can take over this small business? Yeah, there's probably a little bit more pressure on the manufacturing side because um, that's so sort of unique and hands-on. Um, uh, you know, what my brother does is very good and uh, certainly our clients appreciate it. Uh, there's a lot involved in pulling all this together, certainly importing leather and materials, but, um, you know, we've got a passion for it and yeah. um, which we try to... Uh, Keep it Do going. what you can. And it's that passion, I think, that is so important and comes through. Paul, thanks for your time. Paul Parkinson is the owner of McLeod Shoes in Melbourne. Rochelle Hunter, Jeremy Story Carter with you. We're talking small businesses. Joe, who rang through earlier, Jeremy, and talking about how you can start a small business, but now so often that small business, I'm thinking a lawn mowing business, for example, then becomes a, a franchise. And lots of people reacting and agreeing with Joe, mm-hmm. saying Joe's 100% correct. Franchise businesses are so as a dream and sent to, have sent people to the wall. You buy yourself a low-paid job and you're left with debt. And would you believe we've got another shoemaker uh, correspondent? Kay says, a good friend and I bought a shoe store in the pandemic. 
stupid or brave. (laughs) I think I own a shoe store given how many shoes I own. (laughs) It's a lot of hard work, but we share the load and it's very rewarding. We had never owned our own business before, but with our combined skills, it's been a great success so far. It's also a great lesson for our kids to see us do something new in our 50s. Love that from Kay. And then there's the, well, what defines a small business? Kylie's in Lee and Gatha and she sent a message saying, my husband is a fridge mechanic, so he's basically a small business operator. It's the two of us. He does the manual work. I do the paperwork. He really struggled when the carbon tax was and the cost of gases for refrigeration went up by 460%. That's no exaggeration. I'm not against this, but it needs to be reasonable for small business businesses like ours to try and keep running. My husband's job is basically servicing milk vats and refrigerations for cafes and he's found it really hard to keep up with the running costs of everything at the moment. And whether it's something like that, whether it's changes in interest rates, whether it's changes in consumer behaviour or dare say a pandemic, it's a reminder that when things do change, circumstances change, small business owners are uniquely vulnerable to that change. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Small businesses, would you start one? What does a small business even look like? How do we support small businesses? This, Rochelle and Jeremy, we ran our small business for seven years. Being a service business operating from our house was the added stress. People would call in at all times, was, was generally when you just sat down for dinner or something similar. We could have gone big with added employees, but it added to the cost and mm. to the risk. So just doing it ourselves, even though we didn't have a weekly wage, holidays, sick leave, all of those things, we loved being in business, but not having to chase work, then chase payment for that said work. Good luck to those that take the chances, but it's a hard slog. It is not one that I would be brave enough to do in this climate, and yet it's you're faced with those ideas where to grow the business is to put more confidence back into it, is to invest in the idea of it, but Uh, As we've heard, that's not something that's necessarily permeating through all parts of the community. Luke Akterstrat is the Chief Executive Officer at the Council of Small Business Organisation of Australia. And Luke, you've been listening to this conversation. You deal with small businesses all the time. How confident are they feeling at the moment? Yeah, look, thanks for having me, Rochelle and Jeremy, and congratulations on drawing attention to these issues. Look, it's a really challenging time for small business at the moment. You know, a lot of people probably take the view that, you know, we're past the pandemic, you know, things are getting better. But, you know, our latest surveys really reveal that the confidence levels, you know, in the economy and the small business community are arguably back where they were at the outset of the pandemic. So, you know, your callers have touched on a few of those really tangible issues. You've got rising costs. It's a perfect storm, guys. You've got rising rents. You've got rising energy costs. Even things like insurance premiums, you know, transport costs, fuel costs. It's carte blanche, you know, and in a lot of cases, it's really hard for small businesses to absorb those costs without passing them on to the consumer. So, look, I think the next three to six months, it's going to be a really critical time. We're really trying to get the face of government here to really say we need some relief. Uh, We need further relief. There were some good measures in the federal budget um, to really assist small businesses, but we really need to double down on that because there's 70 million jobs at in Australia at stake at the moment. When you talk about passing it on, I guess we could refer here to the coffee index and for so long coffee prices just didn't rise but that didn't mean that the cost of making a coffee didn't rise and when coffees did finally go up, the outrage Mm -hmm. of consumers and it's almost like that disconnect or that lack of understanding between sometimes us as consumers and what it costs someone. I remember reading about what it costs for a a restaurant to put say a plate of chicken and vegetables uh, and, and serve that up. And for us sometimes as consumers, we think, but I know how much a chook costs. Why is this meal costing me so much? Is there an understanding, Luke, from consumers that retailers, they face all of the same rising costs that we do as consumers? Yeah, and look, arguably there's more costs that small businesses face. It's all the overheads, it's all the on costs. You know, you look at the industrial relations system, you look at the award rates, you know, you look at the bureaucracy and the red tape that's associated with even starting a small business as well. So, look, certainly, you know, those energy costs, the rising interest rates that really people would feel as part of the cost of living crisis, but arguably we have a cost of doing business crisis, which is everything plus more. 
uh, you know, that ability to remain open, uh, finding staff as well. I mean, you've alluded to that with some of your callers. Where do you actually find staff? And if you can find staff, you know, can you afford them and without bringing on further risk as well? So, yeah, look, certainly the unfortunate reality is with rising costs a lot of the time, businesses will need to simply pass those on. Um, and keep in mind, you know, a lot of small businesses are already operating on very thin profit margins. So it can be a pretty thankless existence you know, for a lot of these small businesses. And I think it's a really great conversation to be having because we need to really rally and get around our small businesses you know, to really ensure you know, regional communities as well yeah. as the local economy really have that backbone you know, driving you know the products and, and those experiences that we really value as consumers. Well, look, some of the uh, issues that you've gestured to there are of the moment. So, you know, the specific economic climate that we're in right now and the sort of um, pandemic-affected economy uh, as well as yeah, interest rates and all, the, all those sorts of things. But there are some bigger uh, changes more generally that aren't going away. I, um, you know, I was in a, um, a small regional town a while ago and there was someone who was telling me it was... Uh, it was cheaper to buy a soft drink, like a sort of little bunch of soft drinks uh, from Amazon and get it shipped to his place than it was to go down to the general store and buy them from there. I mean, that makes no sense in mm. in, in conventional terms, and yet it's not going any away anytime soon. And, in fact, it's probably I could buy a shoes and maybe a whole outfit while sitting here in the studio uh, faster and potentially cheaper than if I was to go out and interact with a small business. Not saying that's a good thing, but it is just a, a reality. It's just a reality that is uh, developed over the last year. So, how much are the issues that are, are really, you know, foundationally challenging the idea of small business viability that we we once kind of took for granted? Yeah, look, I think that's a pretty fair call. I mean, I'd probably just caution to say, you know, a lot of small businesses are pivoting online and using those channels. You know, I think sometimes we might have an idea that, you know, all small businesses are, are typically bricks and mortar, but, you know, throughout the pandemic, we've really seen a lot of small businesses embrace, you know, online channels and, and online retail as well. So, you know, I think in terms of the, the sort of the risks of cybersecurity, there's also a lot of opportunities, um, you know, whether it's digital marketing and really getting um, a lot of small businesses to tap into those channels. But I think the other piece here, guys, is really, you know, we need to really recall um, and remember to sort of the celebrate the entrepreneurial stories, the small business success stories. And, you know, it's really hard to beat that personal touch you get from walking into your you know, local shopping mall, your local shopping village and having the conversation, having that relationship where, yeah. you know, a small business can really delight you and really, you know, meet not just meet but exceed your expectations. And, you know, I think that's a big part of the fabric of our local communities, but but certainly consumer patterns are changing. Uh, Jeremy, as you mentioned, and, you know, there's a role there for small businesses to be innovative and to really show that entrepreneurial spirit by adapting and, you know, delivering product in a way that consumers demand. And it's a balance, right, because uh, as much as going online is a really important way for a lot of businesses to future-proof and uh, and meet customers where they are, you do run the risk of losing that specialness that you point to of, of, of yeah. physicality, of interaction, of... Oh, and people have referred to it as the soul of their mm. suburb and without small businesses you've lost your soul and that says so much Luke Actistrat thanks so much for your time we appreciate it Chief Executive Officer of the Council of Small Businesses Organisation of Australia this message I run a small business and I hated every second of it the admin the regulations were overwhelming small businesses are the lifeblood of our economy and should get more support this is the conversation hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter with you talking the realities of running a small business and who has the confidence to start one. Are we in a position to support small businesses? Andrew says in the last six months, rent up 20%, wages up 5%, vehicle insurance up 10%, superannuations up, work cover premiums up, liability insurance is up. And due to our growth, we now have passed the threshold to stay in the, what we pay for payroll tax. The incentive to grow a business, employ staff is decreasing by the day. It's interesting that uh, there's one text here that says their pet hate is the people who go into cafes and only buy one coffee and sit there at a table for hours. The poor cafe owner, fine at Starbucks, but not a small mum and dad store. Funnily enough, though, if that's all that person can afford, and lately that represents probably more and more people, um, that's a difficult thing because people you know, want to support it. They just may not be able to afford that extra sandwich or, or something beyond that. Um, that's the reality we're facing right now. Kevin's in Geelong. Good morning, Kevin. Um, Rochelle, yeah. good morning. 
Sorry, I just wanted to make the observation. I said it to your producer. Small business pretty much everywhere operates at the indulgence of the landlords because as soon as the small business starts to make money, the landlords get stuck into them. And the landlords have the revenue figures because it's part of the list. They've got to get them. You've got in a very windy spot in Geelong. I know it's windy outside, but Kevin, one thing we haven't touched on is rising rents and there will be some high streets where I know that uh, around Fitzroy Street and St Kilda, for example, where it used to be a thriving retail sort of mecca and for years people said, well, look, we were pushed out because of rising rents. We just couldn't afford. And also you can't get the, the startups, you can't get the bespoke businesses, you can't get the new and the creative and the smalls if rent is too high. And But then what happens is you have empty retail shops and then if you have one or two that shut down, whoever's left, you lose that idea of going to a strip. So it is a domino effect. There's been a lot of conversation about uh, what the future of the Melbourne CBD looks like with this adjusted approach to physically being at work. But I think, you know, we really need to think about uh, from a suburban level and from a smaller regional community level, what those shopping strips, as you say, look like. Because unfortunately, there can be a bit of a domino effect. So if you're um, hoping to garner that sort of passing tourist uh, crowd, for mm. instance, you're going to want more than just the one shop in the street. You, you ideally have a, you know, a, a sort of place that people can amble and physically interact with that community, even if it is economically. And so I do fear that if we lose too many of these businesses, that will have a really onward um yeah, and hurtful effect. Jeremy Crawford, who's the Geelong Chamber of Commerce, has called through on our talk back line. Jeremy, welcome. How is small business in Geelong at the moment? Well, I think a collection of everything you've spoken about already today, Rochelle, but um, one thing that we're really keen on doing is making sure there are some very accessible ways that small businesses can gain development and support and growth um, and one of the ways that we're doing that is um, through the City of Greater Geelong holding a Geelong Small Business Festival throughout all of August, um, which gives businesses an opportunity to showcase what they do and celebrate, but also tap into some resources where they can grow and learn and hopefully be able to utilise those um, in their own business needs. Who are they showcasing to? Uh, so anybody um, can jump online and register. There's a full month and program of events. It's actually grown by 50% year on year. So there's a huge appetite for businesses to want to share what they do. Um, but also it's predominantly focused on small businesses being able to learn and grow either from other small businesses um, or there are some larger organisations that are able to offer some support to the small business community, um, which is really vital for them to be able to tap into those tools and templates and tips and tricks. And, I mean, you spoke about the tips and tricks there, Jeremy, but I just want to reread this text that we had before that said I run a small business and hated every second of it because of the admin and regulations were overwhelming. Small businesses are the lifeblood of our economy and should get more support. How can something like, say, the Chamber of Commerce or a local council, whether it be Geelong or Bal- How can they give small businesses more support? Yeah, I think it's a really great question to call out. Um, Funding has been reduced over a number of years um, from areas such as government for support in these regional events. And they are vital because they also bring together communities of like-minded businesses who can share these experiences with each other. Um, One thing that the Geelong Chamber of Commerce is looking to do with the City of Geelong is to make some of these processes and... um, and, uh, challenges ahead for small businesses a lot more easier and acceptable so that we can share what works well and how the businesses can gain support. Um, And one way we know that people can do this is to actually share these stories and listen from others who have been in those experiences. Um, And it's a really powerful tool to go along to a small session you know, perhaps as part of the program and actually learn that others have gone through a similar experience. So you're not feeling so isolated um, in the fact that you may not be doing well yourself. Really appreciate you calling through, Jeremy. Thank you. Steve Culmer is a retail analyst and he's also the founder of Retail Oasis. Steve, we've spoken a lot today about what is small business and what defines a small business. Are we finding that small businesses are just changing? I'm not sure they're changing because I, I, I believe that what actually motivates small business is an is somebody who feels they can make a difference and has an urgency or a desire to have a go themselves and of course we see a lot of this in retail 
um, with some of them moving on and up and creating enormously successful businesses, others building stable businesses, and of course, a lot attempting but failing. The new model, perhaps some of the change that we've talked about, is people who start up online exclusive businesses. And there's a whole different series of challenges that come with that that may be um, off to the side of some of the things we've talked about. But are those businesses experiencing the same sorts of headwinds that, um, you know, some of the more bricks and mortar uh, types that we've, we've spoken about that they're also experiencing? I think in, two, in, the, in this year, 2023, all retail is struggling, particularly in the last three to four months. Um, when we compare it to the previous 12 months, which, of course, was a halcyon period for retail. In 22, I mean, you almost couldn't make any mistakes. A lot of retail grew at quite rapid rates, whether you were bricks or whether you were clicks or any mix of that. Whereas today, almost across the board, it doesn't really matter whether you are a pure play or a pure bricks and bricks and mortar business or somewhere in between, all businesses are finding it harder. And I guess what makes it even harder is that as consumers, we're finding it harder to support them as well. Steve, thanks for your insights. Steve Colmer, their retail analyst. Let's have a chat to Colin, who's in Marimbula. Morning, Colin. Good morning, Rochelle. Yes, I'm, I'm on my way back from Melbourne to Marimbula, actually. Yeah, oh, lovely. A bit of a holiday in Melbourne. <laughs> Oh, most of us just take holidays in Marimbula. <laughs> <laughs> well, we went to see need to do a house swap. Bloom. <laughs> Bloom last night was fantastic. So, how you're a small business lecturer? Is that right? Well, I was a, I was a senior lecturer in, at RMIT. We set up a Bachelor of Business and Entrepreneurship program there, and we were trying to attract mainly young people who had a bit of a business idea and wanted to create a, a business while studying for their business degree. It's still going there. The Bachelor of Business and Entrepreneurship and. Uh, we had some very interesting young people, all with grand ideas. Many of them wanted to set up a bar in Melbourne and all those sorts of things. But the biggest thing what we learned was that um, before you even go and put your foot into the water, you've got to make sure there's an opportunity there, really, that, that's going to be clear and obvious. You've got to make sure you've got a point of difference. You know, is your product already out there? And if it's not, then maybe is it, how are you going to compete with them? Are you going to compete on price? One of the lessons that I learned was I was a teacher once upon a time in Victoria and went out uh, to eat a lot. Of, and we always thought, well, a few of us thought, well, we can probably do better than this. So we resigned our jobs and set up a restaurant in Kyneton. But we didn't do any research. We didn't sort of think about, well, who else is in the town who is running restaurants and who may compete with us. And it was a struggle. And uh, distance from Melbourne at that time was, was, was a factor. Um, we had a couple of uh, interesting reviews from the age Epicure, which set us back a little bit, but had we put more time into thinking about it before we went in and maybe not had so much debt, we might have even gone into it in the first place. So I think the big thing that we taught our kids was do your research first and really ask yourself, what is the point of difference that your business is going to make in your little community? Well, we've, um, Colin, we've talked a lot about change, this idea of changed economic conditions, changed, uh, you know, business environment, um, physically the way we are interacting with our cities and our suburbs is very different. Do you, would you need to throw out your uh, textbooks or some of the sort of central learnings that you... God, I can't believe I just said learnings. Ideas that were in, <laughs> in some of your um, textbooks or, or, or are there actually consistent ideas that carry through uh, over decades that are still relevant today? Well, I think one of the biggest ideas, and we made our students read this book by Michael Gerber called... Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, the the, the e called. The principle there was on your business, not in the business. How many probably rolling their eyes at that, but it's a truism that never lose sight of the, the fact that you're not just a plumber, you're actually running a business that happens to be a plumbing business. So where is the next opportunity coming from? Don't just focus on the faucet or the, or the new washer. 
That's exactly right. And we're just losing you a little he's bit just, there, You Colin. can tell he's getting closer to Marimbula, further away from Melbourne. <laughs> close. So what you lose in reception, you gain in beautiful uh, landscape. But what an incredible amount of knowledge that we learned from Colin. Colin, thank you. Let's just quickly end with Chris Siebert, who was a bookshop owner. He owned Kowlak Books in Colac and has now started another small business. Chris, when you're a bookshop owner, we always talk about the, the heart of a high street is a bookshop. How, I mean, were you jaded? Were you happy with running small business? business and in particular a bookshop? We actually, my wife and I bought the bookshop three years ago. We actually took over the bookshop February 1st, 2020. So six weeks before the world went mad. What happened next? Yeah. (laughs) It was, it was, yeah. And we were actually expecting our first baby in that August as well. So it was uh, that first year of business, small business ownership was a roller coaster. And we did, we did three years and our lease was current for a renewal and we had to sort of really question whether we were, you know, we had a, a young family and, and, and what we were going to do. We actually, we put it out for sale as well and sort of got a few nibbles, but but not what we were sort of hoping for. And it got to the point where we went, look, we, we sort of can't give it its all. Uh, and that's what small business really needs. You need to be able to really give your everything to make it, you know, super successful. And we just couldn't really put that forward. And as a small business owner to you, I guess, and you were open at a time when you weren't physically open, small business relies on other small business and you sort of thrive on each other's success, don't you? A hundred percent. And that's where I sort of ended up in my new business was, yeah, we were doing a lot of uh, extra marketing through the bookshop through COVID to keep the business alive. I, you know, I was sort of, I had 20 years of commercial radio experience prior to the bookshop. So I was you know, well-versed in marketing. So we were doing crazy things on social media and funny videos and all that sort of stuff to really draw attention to the bookshop. And I had other businesses in town say, hey, could you maybe help us with that? And then when we uh, when we wrapped up the bookshop, I had a lot of businesses say, well, now you've got a bit more free time. Do you reckon you could help? And it sort of evolved into a, a second small business. Well, speaking of, Colac has that beautiful strip. It actually has more shops in that row than a lot of um, you know, regional towns would. How would you characterise the health of um, particularly that area and that little sort of business district? It's struggling at the moment. Look, and as we've heard in the last hour, everywhere is struggling at the moment. Um, And that's because people are just keeping their hands in their pockets. They're worried about what the next six months is going to do. And you can't be angry at people for wanting to save their money. It's it's a really sort of tightrope that businesses are walking. They're trying to get through the next six months. Um, but they're really sort of depending on people to come out and support them. And it is hard, as you said, when you've got, you know, big chain stores and those sorts of ones that are, you know, sort of coming in and undercutting on prices because people are looking for the best deal at the moment. So and That's right, Chris, and I think that's the thing. Small business rely on us, and if we're in a position where we just don't have that extra cash and we just can't support the way we would like to, what's been heartening about today, though, Jeremy Storicardo, is that people do it because they love it. Yeah. And, and equally, people support those businesses because they love them. I've been really um, grateful for the such a broad range of contributions from different people, and particularly those who are taking the plunge uh, to support small uh, to, to start their own small business. Jeremy Story Carter, a part of the National Regional Reporting Team. Thank you. I'll Cheers, speak Rish. to you soon. I'll be back with you tomorrow. And tomorrow, off the back of Wham, we are talking friendship and why friendship is just so important. Take care. Speak then.